welcome to the Additive Insight podcast, your source for news, interviews and comment on the latest 3D printing and additive manufacturing intelligence. I'm Laura Griffiths, TCT Head of Content, and for this episode, we're bringing you another editorial roundtable covering the biggest and most read stories from the last month. And for that, I'm joined by our senior content producer, Sam Davis. Hello, Sam. Hello, how are you? I'm not too bad, thank you. Lots of calls today, so I'm kind of glad that this is just um, audio and not a Zoom call. <laughs> how are you? Yeah, yeah, not bad. I'm uh, fresh from a, a lunchtime walk. Um, it was sunny when I left, and then I got onto the uh, the seafront. I live on the coast, and uh, it was so cold. My ears were just stinging the whole way around, and I regretted not bringing a woolly hat. And it's the first time I, in ages I've not wore a woolly hat because I had my hair cut for the first time in five months yesterday. And thought, <laughs> I don't need to wear a woolly hat. My hair looks fine but it was quite cold. So yeah, that was a bad move. I must admit, Sam, I'm so glad that that turned into a negative story then, because when you started off with, and I live by the seafront. Yeah, Okay, (laughs) that's good for you. (laughs) It's not the prettiest seafront in the world. Uh, We've kind of struggled this month, haven't we, to choose the biggest news stories for this episode because of the amount of big news that has come Mm -hmm. out since our last roundtable. You've had Desktop Metal launching Desktop Health, Renishaw launching its formal sales process, Wayland Additive launching here in the UK, um, X1 and Desktop Metal launching breakthroughs in aluminium. But we did figure that we've been on a bit of a bit binder jet biased lately. Well, that could have been a tongue twister. Uh, and in just the last week alone, we've had significant developments from a number of companies across different bits of the industry. So uh, the four news stories that we're going to be covering today are um, Carbon making its design engine software available to our subscribers, uh, Velo3D announcing it is to go public, Stratasys launching the Powderbed Fusion 3D printing system based on the evolution of high-speed sintering, and Dimension launching its next-generation post-processing technology. So lots of different things to cover. Um, and I think we'll start with you, Sam. We'll start with Carbon Sue because uh, you spoke to the team there a few weeks back, didn't you? I think it was, yeah, probably more than a month ago now. Um, we spoke to them ahead of uh, the launch of Design Engine, which was, I think was March the 2nd, so right at the start of the month. And um, Design Engine is the design software that has helped to enable some of the some of carbon's most well-known applications you know futurecraft footwear with adidas um with the 3d printed midsoles the bike saddles with specialized uh hockey and football helmets with ccm and, and riddell respectively um and and so you know during the development of those products um some of which have helped carbon win multiple tct awards for the best consumer application i, I think I'm right in saying three years on the bounce. Um, mm-hmm. During the development of those, basically a team of engineers within Carbon has been responsible for implementing the latter structures in those parts, um, which have you know delivered energy return in the case of Adidas, um, stiff and soft responses in certain sections of the, the sporting helmets. Um, that has all been under Carbon's control as it kind of continued to develop and and refine that software um but as i said at the start of the month um the company announced that design engine would now be made available to all of its subscribers which includes um you know consumer product companies but companies in, in the dental and healthcare spaces and also service providers like fast radius for example who serve a whole host of markets um and 
what they think is significant about the launch, um, particularly the co-founder and chief product officer, Phil DeSimone. He he basically described the rollout of Design Engine as a 10x type product launch. Um, and he he emphasized that, you know, as a um, somebody working in a technology firm, you maybe only have one of these in there in in a career um he was quite excited about that and he was saying that it's a a 10x type product launch because they've seen what's achievable through its collaborations with adidas and so on and and now they kind of expect applications to really take off in the next year or two now that the software capabilities have been made that much more accessible um so with with design engine users now have their hands on a platform that automates the process of conformal lattice creation um, with five types of lattice structure available which all exhibit different characteristics and all have uh, names which I won't attempt to pronounce Um, but they have (laughs) characteristics like high stiffness to mass ratio or energy absorption at high strains or a foam-like stress strain response and these are what carbon has learned are the most desired uh, more required types of lattice structure and, and now their subscription base has, has access to them as and when they want them. Um, Phil was um, quite honest actually when I, I spoke to him he kind of said that up until now Carbon has actually been a bottleneck in the design of parts um, and and his colleague uh, the, the director of software engineering Hardik uh, Kaberia um, he pointed out that there are probably loads of applications out there that Carbon hasn't even thought of. So mm-hmm. they use the example of um, the, the COVID-19 test and swabs, which until 12 months ago, they'd never thought of an application like that. And um, that that swab was designed with a lattice structure. The, the clinicians that they were working with wouldn't even have recognised them as a kind of a virus test and swab because of the design. And they were kind of saying, you know, they had no idea about this kind of application and they imagine that now that this software is out there and all of their customers have access to it and they don't have to, you know, rely on carbon or lean on carbon mm. for that um, expertise that, you know, this launch should help to enable all sorts of applications in, in the next couple of years. And that's really the exciting thing, isn't it? We're always talking about how applications are the important part of additive manufacturing. You know, we're not just talking about machines and boxes. We're talking about the end use applications and and how uh, better design tools help facilitate that. And I think it's going to be quite exciting now to see more people getting their hands on this technology because so far, and you mentioned there at the start, some like the TTC award winners, they've been quite well-known established companies like sports Mm. brands and you know um i think even some automotive companies as well that have used um carbon's technology and it will be interesting now to see more places that are maybe those maybe smaller users smaller companies different types of industries and been able to use this technology now because we've seen um so many different types of of applications for this but as you say there there's plenty that i'm sure carbon haven't even considered for Mm -hmm. themselves i mean medical industry we already know how much carbon technology is used in in things like like dental i mean i'm not too sure how much lattice structures can (laughs) can have an impact on things like dental but there's so many different areas that they've probably just not even realized yet and i think now that they have opened that up with this very exciting sounding 10x development i I think it's going to be um yeah it's going to be interesting in the next few years to see how that all plays out 
Yeah, so they, they quantify 10x as literally if you imagine that um, there are 50 of these kind of really cool applications out there within a couple of years, there'll be at least 500. Um, okay. But um, I, th- I think what's really exciting about it is if you think of their kind of, I don't know how they brand their this kind of manufacturing network that they have, but you think about, um, you know, companies like Fast Radius. And I know that with um, the Adidas collaboration, there was a, a service provided there um, mm-hmm. doing the printing on behalf of Adidas. You know, these kind of companies serve all kinds of markets and just having that capability in-house and they, they don't have to lean on carbon, just those guys alone could open up all sorts of applications before you even get to the kind of OEMs who are using it themselves. Um, and, and interestingly as well, at the end of the conversation I had uh, with Phil and Hardik, they were saying that they've kind of built up this really big expertise on on lattice structures but that's that's just kind of one thing that they want to do and now it's about focusing their efforts elsewhere while all of their users almost kind of take over on on you know taking advantage of these uh, lattice capabilities mm-hmm, mm-hmm. moving on to story two now and we're looking into to metals this time uh, velo 3d announcing it is to go public, which happened earlier this week. So uh, Velo3D is a metal additive manufacturing company. Um, They have announced that they're to go public on the New York Stock Exchange in agreement with special purpose acquisition company, which Sam and I have had to learn what those are, uh, called JAWS Spitfire Acquisition Corporation. So uh, Velo3D is the latest 3D printing company to go public with one of these. Is it SPAC or a SPAC company? I actually don't know. I say SPAC, but it could be SPAC. So these companies are basically set up for the purpose of acquiring a private company, which allows that company to become a pub- become publicly traded without having to execute their own initial public offering. So there's stock market 101 from a very unreliable source. <laughs> Uh, but we've seen already last month Mark Forge um, going public in a similar deal with a company called One and Desktop Metal as well, which became publicly listed um, in December in a deal with Tryon Acquisition Corp. So uh, lots of these deals happen in the additive manufacturing industry now. And I did notice today as well um, the company Redwire, which if you remember, mm. um, is a space um, company which acquired Made in Space, this space additive manufacturing company uh, last year. They have also um, gone public today or are going public. Uh, with one of these companies so uh yeah lots of activity happening around the um in the industry but um this agreement uh will see the combined company operate under velo 3d so um current ceo benny buller and cfo bill mccomb are going to stay at the helm of the company uh, it's going to be listed on, on the new york stock exchange under the ticker symbol vld in the second half of this year um and the transaction values the combined company at an enterprise value of approximately 1.6 billion dollars so uh yeah it's a pretty pretty big deal benny bullard said uh with george spitfire's long-term partnership we expect to extend the reach of velo 3d technology um and as we scale the business advance our growth strategy we expect to expand the high high value metal additive manufacturing market and strengthen our competitive position um Avella 3D is another one of those companies that have had a really impressive list of customer stories uh, because they've got quite a different technology proposition um, in the metal space. I remember when they very first launched, they were talking about how they're not coming out expecting people to design these fantastical, um, you know, strange parts. They want people to be able to come in and 
make the kind of parts that they already need in industry mm. um and of course one of the value propositions as well is about this um support free technology which allows you to create these shapes that are just not possible with other types of uh, metal powder bed based additive manufacturers so it's a really interesting and different type of technology and they've already had customers like spacex uh, honeywell uh, boom supersonic uh, chrome alloy uh, lamb research who we will be um talking about in the next issue of tct magazine about how velocity's technology has been applied to the semiconductor industry which is quite a new market for additive manufacturing and um, so they're all using the company's sapphire 3d printing platform velocity says that this growth strategy that they're on now uh, with this acquisition and going public is to focus on the specific products that only it can produce within that 100 billion dollar addressable market for high value metal parts that is a huge market and they've also got plans as well for later this year to ship a brand new system, which is a larger system called the Sapphire XC, which we did cover um, at the end of last year um, on this podcast. Um, it's a bigger system, supports the production of parts up to five times uh, the size of those that we can currently carry in its Sapphire technology um, and up to three times at lower cost as well. So uh, that's pretty exciting. And they're going to be doing that in the fourth quarter of this year. So, yeah, it's a it's a pretty significant deal. And as I said, it's an ongoing trend that we're seeing in the additive manufacturing industry now. And, I think really does speak to the maturity of the technology and seeing you know seeing these companies with these significant investments like this being made it, it shows how much the technology now has been almost seen on a, on a bigger stage in, in a way what, what about you sam you've reported on, on a few of these different acquisition stories over the last few months yeah i was i was just gonna say that that i think the fact that these opportunities have opened up for Desktop metal, mark forged and, and now velo 3d um it does kind of show that metal am in particular is maturing um and i mean even if you just look at velo's customers um particularly you know spacex and honeywell they're big names high profile and Mm. um i know that metal am has kind of long been used by you know those kind of companies as aerospace and and defense users but i think maybe this is now it kind of picking up pace a little bit and maybe we'll start to see you know more more applications um coming out and you know if you look at velo 3d like last year i think you know we've seen um a, a significant expansion of their kind of product portfolio they've you know kind of tripled the the number of machines that they're bringing out um mm. with kind of a, you know an extra capacity machine a one meter tall machine the standard sapphire system um it'll it'll be interesting to see what comes next from them i think and I, you know, they, they touch on how this is going to kind of, you know, um, accelerate the, um, the the growth of the company. And it'll be interesting to see what that growth looks like. Um, you know, we've seen desktop metal on the back of their, um, them going public, They you know, acquiring new companies, expanding and broadening what they do. It'll be interesting to see whether Velo do something like that or whether they just kind of stay solely focused on, metal powder bed fusion and mm-hmm. you know serving these these guys and you know aerospace defense and, and like you say semiconductor mm-hmm. yeah and, and, I, and i think for now if they do stay focused on that there's there's lots that they're working on at the minute in terms of new materials things that aren't really building out the capabilities of this machine you know increasing the productivity of the sapphire platform with the the multi-laser system things like that mm-hmm. so there's there's lots of areas that, that they can really grow the business focusing on this like this unique technology so yeah i think it's going to be an interesting year for them and i'm kind of looking forward to seeing in, in the fourth quarter when those machines do come out and seeing the kind of places that have adopted the technology because as we keep saying they've got such a 
they've got such a cool uh, customer lineup already. It'd be interesting to see who else uh, takes this on board for those larger applications. And now a word from our sponsor, Ultimaker. Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod. So next we're going to talk about Stratasys launching a powder bed fusion 3D printing system based on the evolution of high-speed sintering. Sam, uh, you've had the story for this this week. Yeah, so this is, um, I don't know, probably the least surprising of Stratasys' <laughs> announcements around its kind of expansion of of its polymer 3D printing portfolio. Um, but, pro- you know, probably just out, if not more significant than taking over Origin and, and acquiring RPS um, because the launch of what they're now calling selective absorption fusion technology puts them in competition with the likes of, you know, HP and that powder bed fusion market and, and again, expands their capacity to address um, polymer applications uh, for 3D printing. Um, the launch of SAF uh, with a, a line of machines using the technology to be made commercially available in, in Q3 of this year, has its background um, in Stratasys' relationship with Zar 3D. Zar uh, is an inkjet technology company, uh, manufactures print heads and so on, and a few years back uh, became a licensee of high-speed sintering technology that uh, was initially developed at Loughborough University in the UK with uh, Professor Neil Hopkinson as uh, the lead inventor. Um, and, and Zar kind of came into the picture around maybe 2015, 16, 17. Uh, I think Neil was was or is leading Zar's 3D division. Um, and in July 2018, Stratasys and Zar then announced a joint investment in Zar 3D, with uh, Stratasys at that time owning 15% of the shares, with an option at that time to increase to 30%. Just over a year later, in September 2019, um, Stratasys had announced that it had actually increased its stake in Zar 3D to 45% on the back of what it was what was described um, as significant progress being made, um, and that that then put them in a position to take full control of Zar 3D per the approval of the Zar board. Um, while there hasn't actually been any news on whether Stratasys has or will um, kind of you know take up the option to take full control of Zar 3D. It is launching SAF technology um, as a Stratasys-branded um, kind of fleet of machines, um, which, as you mentioned um, at the top of the, the the episode, is an evolution of high-speed sintering. Um, this technology has been designed to meet the needs of volume manufacturing, uh, Stratasys say, and it works by using a counter-rotating roller to coat powder layers onto the print bed before print heads then deposit absorber fluid, which are then fused with the passing of an infrared lamp um, over the entire print bed. 
that that process has been kind of developed over 10 or 15 years by this point but the the significant progress that was referenced when Stratasys had upped its stake to 45% would appear to be uh, the addition of some process architecture that enables all particles being fused on the bed surface to experience the same time and temperature profile regardless of where they are placed in the in the build um, and also the addition of the big wave powder handling system and, and this this system maintains a, a thermally stable mound of powder when distributing material across the bed um, overflow powder is also quickly recirculated to minimize powder thermal exposure and, and reduce the aging of the powder um, and uh, the technology can also support polyamide and elastoma materials and stratasys as it's i think uh is doing so with, with both rps and origin um related efforts is going to lean on its existing partnerships um to accelerate the development of materials um kind of i hope and expect maybe in line with the release of the machines later this year they've not actually i don't think at this stage come out and said exactly which materials the the machines can run um but we should hopefully learn more in in the next few weeks and and then obviously in the next few months um i think on april the 7th neil hopkinson is gonna take part in a session that's being broadcast on facebook and linkedin um which i'm I'm sure he'll he'll kind of you know explain more and you know hopefully we'll we'll hope be speaking to neil in, in the next few weeks as well and yeah, as I said, the first machine should be available in Q3 of this year. So I, I will we'll at least see the machines then. Hopefully, you know, uh, COVID permitting, we get to see them at some trade shows later this year as well. But yeah, that was a um, pretty significant announcement from, from Stratasys this week. Mm-hmm. I know. It, it's funny that because we've had that many um, acquisition announcements and machine launch announcements and Stratasys, when this one came along, we were like, oh, another one. <laughs> it was just... It wasn't um, a surprising news story, and I think because after um, after them increasing that stake to to forty five percent, you know, I think we've just been kind of waiting to see what they were going to do with that technology, how Stratasys were going to um, potentially package that up, um, how they were going to help develop that. So it's great to see that that um, that has happened, and that we can hope to see uh, the machines later this year. And you know, kind of echoing what you were saying, Sam, they've with all these different acquisitions and, and these different technology launches, they really are trying to round out their portfolio to be mm. this leader in polymer additive manufacturing technology. We spoke about it a lot on the last episode, and I think we mentioned about, you know, where, where will metals come into that? But mm. I think now that they pretty much are ticking all of the boxes, you know, any type of technology there is at the moment, they've kind of got a, they've kind of got a counter to that. This kind of rivals like the, the HP technology, that 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 side mm-hmm. of things. So I think they've got they've got an answer to every kind of polymer technology on, on the market now almost. So it puts them in in, in such a, a strong position. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's been, you know, qu- quite efficient as well. If you think in the last mm. four months, just over four months, they've had it, what Origin brings, what RPS brings, and now what um, you know, an, an evolved high speed Sintram brings. And um, yeah, as you say, I think when they when they took over RPS and they were saying um, that you know they wanted the the most complete um, polymer portfolio on the market, it was quite obvious that a uh, you know them entering uh, powder bed fusion was was inevitable. Um, and 
as you mentioned, they'd, they'd increased their stake in Zara3D to 45%. It all kind of pointed to high-speed centering being, you know, that kind of covering that aspect of the portfolio in the market. And I think they've they've said in, in the press release they put out that they're pretty confident now that they can, you know, address so many more markets. Um, and it'll just be interesting to see how it grows. I think, I think it might have said in the press release that actually the, the kind of, 2020 the covid pandemic slowed things down a touch um so it might have even happened earlier than it has done but um yeah in the space of four months they've added so much to their to their portfolio and i think it's it's really a strong offering at this point uh, and the last story that we're going to cover today is a story from yesterday which is dimension launching its next generation of its post-processing technology so Dimension, um, they have become such a force really in the industry when it comes to post-processing. And uh, But this week they um, have launched a, a new generation of its machines, including a, pa- a PowerShop Performance Series and next generation of its classic PowerShop C and S. The real uh, focus point of this launch is a brand new PowerShop dual performance system, which is a bigger um, post-processing station, but it's the first of the company that combines both depowdering and service treatment processes into a single platform. I spoke to CEO Felix Ewald and CTO Philip Kramer to uh, just to get a bit more information about these technologies. And Ewald said that this is really about hardcore industrialization, and that idea of industrialization of additive manufacturing was was really consistent throughout um, the launch event. It's very much aimed at the fact of the future, high volume production, all these kind of things that additive is really driving towards. So the dual performance machine, as I said, is that it's um, it's a larger system than, than the current generation. It is the first to feature this integrated multi-belt system, which um, I saw a demo of at the event yesterday. Um, and it basically allows users to automate the loading and unloading of their parts. It's capable of produce of processing full-size build jobs and increased load capacity by 150% from systems uh, like I think that you can fit um, a whole a whole build box from an EOS uh, P396 or one and a half builds from a HP Jet Fusion uh, 4200 or uh, 5200. So for reference, they said you could process around 500 glasses frames in a single job. So that's pr- pretty pretty efficient, especially when you do look at some of the kinds of um, consumer style products that um, Dimensions technology has already been used for things like uh, luxury eyewear company IC Berlin uh, there's another eye company as well whose name escapes me at the moment but um, their, their frames are pretty popular they're worn by Oprah and were worn in that uh, Meghan and Harry interview uh, this past month so uh, you know a, a pretty good promo for, for your technology but those are the kinds of applications that, that we're talking about there which is why they need this this really um this really impressive finish um so but despite this bigger capacity uh, dimension actually said that um this dual machine actually takes it around 60 percent less workspace compared to the current powershop models and that is because you've got both of these processes now being compacted into um, a single machine it's pretty much a case where you can get a, a basket of parts this can be put in front of the machine uh, loaded in automatically any excess powder is first of all removed and then the servicing process automatically starts after it once those parts are finished you can flip the lid up 
put your um put your basket there again in front of the machine so that parts can then be rolled from this conveyor belt onto the basket and then automatically move to whatever process they need to go to next whether it's dyeing whether it's um whether it's painting parts anything like that so the parts are just all come out the machine completely finished it's also really really quick it's meant to be much more efficient than the uh, than the previous system i think process times are now up to 20 percent less than that of the previous system so um they've really tried to kind of up the productivity um in just just about every angle really the performance series is really around the requirements of industrial production, as I said, and that they've identified these few key areas which they think are really important within that, which is quality assurance, traceability, connectivity, and also automation. Automation was a real um, big one that the guys kept referring to. Um, and I thought it's really interesting, actually, when I spoke to the team, they were talking about um, fitting additive into these more um, kind of industrial setup there's no about having a machine that means you've got to then upend absolutely everything in your current manufacturing setup it needs to other slot into these current modern um automated manufacturing setups um and one of the uh, one of the guys uh, kramer said um everything you do in a post in post processing has a really high influence on any further processes that you do so things like dyeing smoothing so you've got to be really consistent in the quality and you've got to be able to describe that in a spec if you're working in an industrial um, environment and you really need the machine to be able to fulfill that. And, you know, what they're referring to there is the fact that, you know, you've got to, it's not enough just to be consistent within the build. You've then got to be able to promise that consistency in all the steps that come after that as well. And mm -hmm. so it's really important to be able to um, integrate your post-processing kind of into the, the planning stages when you are, and thinking about using additive manufacturing. And I do think that is something that we're getting a lot better at um, in the industry and you know, with, with, with different customer stories and people understanding the importance of, of what those different processes mean for, um, for an end use additive part. And they're gonna start shipping to um, customers uh, very soon. I think at the moment they're shipping to select customers. Um, so I think 3D Print UK, who've already been using their technology previously, have got one of the new systems now. They're gonna be taking part in a, a new uh, pilot testing phase, which Again, speaking to the team, they were saying how important this pilot testing is for them because you know they've already they've done the startup thing. They've they've been in the industry now for for five or so years, and they've kind of got they've got a reputation at stake now. You know they've they've got all these mm -hmm. really high profile customers, uh, companies uh, like like Daimler, for example, who are using the technology to to finish these parts to you know injection mold finish. Um, they really need to make sure that with this second lot of machines that they are really building on that success and, and and can guarantee that especially now they are going after this more um in, industrial customer base um but they did say that with the next generation of the um previous machines as well the key difference would be that it's kind of um still describes like a perfect entry-level product for um, the automation of those manual post-processing processes so mm. they they launched a lot during this and and they weren't finished there they even introduced a new polyshock cleaning process which um it acts as an alternative to the um the general um glass bead blasting system that's currently used in a lot of post-processing systems so um it's a new plastic blasting medium, uh, which is said to have been designed for the optimal shape, size and weight for powder removal without causing any damage to 3D printed parts. It's expected to enable a wider range of process parameters and precision adjustment uh, and improved depowdering for um, challenging materials such as TPU. That's said to be compatible with uh, the next generation PowerShot and performance series and can also be used with all common powder bed additive manufacturing technology. So 
lots of things announced there and even during the launch event actually they they mentioned another thing that they're working on which they're not ready to announce yet but um they're also working on um, an unpacking station as well or an unpacking technology which we just saw kind of a blurred out image of it so far and the, the team really tempered expectations they said don't necessarily expect you know to see a machine at form next this year but that's the next thing that they're working on and mm. it's part of this print to product workflow that they've been building out over the last few years as i as i mentioned before you know it's things like blasting service treatment cleaning um dyeing products things like that you know they're really working out uh, ticking all the boxes of all the things that need to happen in order to get to a finished part and it looks like they're just continuing to to tick all those boxes to um deliver this uh, this print to product workflow so yeah um some really um really exciting news and i must admit considering we have been we're probably a bit tired of online events at the moment dimension did um an online launch event yesterday and it was it, it was really good it was it was one of the um it felt like it made me miss going to trade shows to be honest and seeing mm. that big curtain drop moment they had dry ice around the machine they had lights and it was all the production value was great so i i really appreciated that and it's made me really look forward to getting back to um to tct this year and being there for those as i say curtain drop big launch moments <laughs> yeah me too it sounded um sound like a good event and it's i mean they sound ridiculously busy i think mm. i've been speaking to loads of post processing companies for for the next issue of the magazine they're all busy too um doing you know doing what they're doing trying to you know make things more robust and more automated but it feels like dimension have got all sorts going on um but you know when when talking to those guys um siemens Flow, post-process technologies rosler um they kind of you know the general motivation and the common theme is, is just making the post printing phase easier shorter quicker and it's good to see that you know dimension are, are no different that they're you know consolidating things like depowdering and surface treatment into a single system and, and just making everything more appropriate and robust for production environments which you know is, is where we all want to see the technology being used um and i think you know we should maybe mention that you'll be you'll be speaking again to dimension ahead of uh the next issue of magazine as well hopefully mm-hmm. um and so we'll potentially have even more information on, on what they're doing we also have um, in the next issue um, a feature on healthcare. Um, Sam, you are talking to several um, companies that work with hospital-based 3D printing labs and also mm-hmm. the people working in those labs as well. Do you want to give us a, a quick summary of the kind of things that people can expect to read about? Yeah, so not my best idea doing two features where I'm speaking to <laughs> six different organisations. Um, but um, I've been, I think I've spoken to most of the the six i'm speaking to for the this healthcare feature and it's all about hospital-based uh point of care 3d printing labs um and just some of the kind of opportunities that are there what the challenges to overcome are and um just some really good things from all of the people involved in that so i've spoken to um people at children's um colorado hospital colorado children's hospital actual 3d materialize form labs and stratasys um and hoping to speak to um somebody from Montefiore um in, in New York as well and just yeah basically understanding what the considerations are what the applications are um and and the benefits involved and and the the thing that's coming back is that a lot of them think and truly believe that this 3D printing anatomical models and you know for for things like planning surgeries is going to become the 
the standard of care um, over in America. They're kind of working on um, reimbursable codes, which allow hospitals to bill for these things, which should help drive the adoption. And then on the other side, people saying that what would really help drive the adoption as well is kind of bringing the cost of the technology down because, you know, people are referencing it to CT scanning. And, you know, if, if you, you know, I don't know, break your arm or whatever, bang your knee, you, you'd go into hospital and expect a CT scan or an x-ray to be carried out. And they were, they were saying that, you know, as soon as medical professionals get their hands on 3D printed technology and are able to have their hands on the models, even if they don't know that they need it, they don't want to go back once they've had it. And, and we basically need to kind of make it that much more accessible so that everyone um, can benefit from it. Because, you know, at some stage we're all probably going to need need it need a hospital need these medical professionals and probably best if they're you know as best equipped as they can be to deal with what <laughs> problem we have so um i'm really looking forward to writing that up um and yeah it'll be in the in the next issue of the magazine and another feature i just wanted to quickly touch on as well um as a preview for the next issue which is due out at the end of next month um, is our emerging markets feature which is something we've introduced as, as a new uh, topic for this year mm-hmm. um i've been speaking to companies working with the semiconductor industry so a few different 3d printing vendors that um have had machines that have been used by the sector um and i i've had real sort of like such a, a variation the kind of applications here from kind of very small um electronics to kind of like um you know like crucial components and just various different industries that, that falls into and how it's changing now with the different requirements of the semiconductor industry and uh, it's been quite a an, an eye-opening industry to look at really because it's it's one of those industries that even though we know that additive is used there we don't really hear about it that much it's not that it's new it's just that we're i think we're hearing a bit more about it now and about how it in, impacts the supply chain and, and whether some of that does come off the back of some of the stuff that you covered in your feature, Sam, um, mm-hmm. the other month, which was about the disruptions in supply chains and how people have got to think differently now about how additive could potentially fit into that. But Sam, you've also been working on something within the emerging markets uh, sector, uh, looking at batteries. Yeah, so um, early stages of that, I've still got a couple more people to talk to, but we're just going to kind of look at, um, you know, why 3D printing is is suitable for that kind of application why it makes sense um and really what what the opportunities are and where the the application areas are how how you know what it's going to look like in the future because i think you know for a lot of companies it's still early stages um and so yeah we've spoken to photocentric we're hoping to speak to blackstone um and we've got something set up with uh jennifer lewis from harvard as well in a maybe next week this time next week so um yeah, likewise, looking forward to putting that one together because I think um, from what I've heard from Photocentric, they've they've set up a, an R&D unit inside their business and they, they're saying it's the most important research effort they've ever carried out. So they obviously see that there's big potential um, and, yeah, there are multiple companies now kind of popping up that are, are really looking to use the technology for those applications. So that should be an interesting thing to look at as well. So make sure you subscribe at tctmagazine.com. And <laughs> um, I, I just quickly before we go, I wanted to mention uh, we are about to put out our final call for papers for the TCT360 conference. So uh, this is your last chance to um, apply to speak at this year's show. Uh, we have already got um, confirmed speakers uh, from companies like Rolls-Royce, NHS, the AMGTA, lo- lots of different um, companies across different industries. Um, and as I said, this is your chance to, to submit your apps 
abstract if you want to um, want to take part in the conference. Um, the summit this year will take a different format. We're going to be hosting three unique content platforms dedicated to um, the evaluation, adoption and optimization of additive manufacturing. And we're interested in, in hearing uh, from different speakers about whether you whether you know the right questions that our attendees need to be asking about evaluating additive manufacturing technologies, whether that building your AM roadmap or technology and cost assessment, uh, how to discover applications, planning the right business strategy uh, and also supply chain considerations. Or then perhaps adoption, which is about when you have identified those those additive opportunities and you've um, applied that in a successful way. Maybe you've got a case study of, uh, of using additive manufacturing. Maybe you've identified some of the application hurdles that, that are common or uh, maybe you can talk about um, additive adoption access models. Um, and then on the third platform, we have optimization, which is looking at those organizations that have developed really mature installations of additive technology. Maybe you're looking at things like industry 4.0 on the future of 3D printing and um, how to optimize your AM investment because it's all for a well having a machine but how do you make sure you you can maximize that and get the true benefit from it and then looking at some um, challenges which crop up when we're talking about optimization things like sustainability and and how that can impact decisions in manufacturing and, and what you can do to really and um, to really emphasize the sustainability benefits of additive manufacturing and um, so if that sounds like you and you have an interesting case study interesting um, theme that comes under the evaluate adopt optimization strategy you can submit um, a 200 word abstract to our um, conference producer uh, Magda and I will add an email and an email link in the description to this episode um, but submit 200 words maximum along with your short bio and a headshot by the 6th of April so not very much time at all now to submit this but please note we can only accept submissions from uh, users of AM and 3D printed technology so speaking applications from vendors of machines materials software and services who are deemed to be suitable as exhibitors or exhibiting at TCT 360 uh, will not be um, will not be able to, to submit. So um, just keep that in mind when you are, are um, creating your abstracts. Yes, yeah, so I think that's just about it, really. So we did not do that in half an hour whatsoever. So. <laughs> no, I think I think you're looking at the, the time that's currently on the, uh, the top of the platform we're using. And about five minutes of that was taken up by me trying to shoo away a, a Windows salesperson. <laughs> <laughs> well thanks very much for listening if you want to get more additive insight you can subscribe for free to our weekly newsletter at tcdmagazine.com and also get your free print subscription to tct magazine by subscribing at the same link which i will add in the description to this episode thanks very much and we'll see you again next time bye and now a word from our sponsor ultimaker Ultimaker are a manufacturer of desktop extrusion-based 3D printers that can help streamline your workflow and save you time and money. Ultimaker printers offer industrial-grade material options backed by an extensive materials alliance program and they're also paired with trusted Cura slicing software which recently surpassed a milestone of 2 million users. For the decade in the additive manufacturing industry, Ultimaker machines have been used by a wide range of industrial customers for a range of applications. For more info, click the link in the description or visit mytct.co forward slash ultimakerpod.